Well, we're going to lift anchor today and head out and catch some of these summer breezes. And it's an interesting one, isn't it, Charlene, this breeze that we're catching? I don't know. Watch your head today. <laughs> we're in 2 Samuel 23, uh, and I think we have to explore this passage a little more deeply because it's kind of like slim pickings here. <laughs> like, what are we going to say about this? Just a bunch of names. Uh, the inner three of David's mighty men and his 37 valiant warriors, soldiers that were at his side at all times. Actually, these are exciting moments uh, in the history of David and God's call on his life. I think David was king for about 40 years, but he surely didn't take the easy way to get there. Uh, to, uh, and he gets involved with a bunch of unknown guys who change his life. And I was thinking if you have a few hundred million dollars, this would make a great movie. Uh, I think it would go in the section of Netflix with drama, uh, with Robin, Robin Hood and Friar Tuck and Little John. Remember all those guys? I was just thinking this week, uh, Robin Hood and David, I think, have a lot of similarities so it'd be a great movie. If you, if you got a few hundred million kicking around, just let me know. We'll work on it. Say, so I have a little quiz for you this morning. Uh, uh, you, you don't even need a pen. Uh, you just need to be able to draw on your memory bank and see if you can dredge up some of these uh, answers from what you've learned in the past. Just pretend you're playing Jeopardy with me this morning. Uh, and if you know the answer, put up your hand and then take it down. First question is this, who taught Martin Luther his theology and inspired his translation of the scriptures from Latin into German? Who was that person? Anybody know? No. Second question, who spoke to Dwight L. Moody in the shoe store that day and ultimately led him to Christ, which ultimately led him to a magnificent life of, uh, of evangelism for the rest of his days? Who was that? Is those questions up there? Oh, yeah, you, yeah. You're looking at the screen. Yeah, Dwight L. Moody. Looking for an answer. There's no answer, but... Oh, here's one. Maybe you'll get this. Who was the elderly lady who prayed every day of her life for Billy Graham, especially during the heyday of his ministry during his crusades? What was her name? Mom. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, that's not the right answer. Oh, and who helped Charles Wesley get underway as a composer of music so that he would ultimately gift the church with 5,000 hymns? <laughs> John. <laughs> How did you make out with your responses? They were, these were incredibly significant people in history. Had they not played the role, they, of course, uh, church history would be so different today. They were amazing people, and we don't know one of them. Uh, let's just bring this up to date with where we're at today. Maybe right here at Southwest, you work behind the scenes, as Jen so effectively was pointing out in all of our volunteer roles. You arrive maybe on a Sunday morning, 8.30, you go to work setting up, 
You come and you go and nobody says much. You just do it and you do it week after week after week. And it may not be on a Sunday morning, but sometimes during the week you're on the phone or you're texting or you're emailing just to make sure because you had a little nudge in your heart that someone needed some encouragement, so you did it. And, uh, or you knew, you knew that something needed a little shaping, a little organization, and, uh, and you did it. Well, want to know where I'm going with all of this? I, I am wanting to say this morning that the most important people are not necessarily the ones that people applaud. They're the rarely mentioned people who are faithful behind the scene week after week after week. And before I say anything more, let me just reiterate this, that the success of this church and every other church is because of the people that people don't know too well. The profile isn't very high. So anchors away. Let's go back a few thousand years. Everybody knew David. David, they sang the song. Well, they didn't just sing it. They danced to it. And you know what they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Oh, how did Saul take that? Not very well. And around the world, uh, this story of David and Goliath is known today. You know, even in the corporate world, they talk about the Goliath industry or the, the David business. And they have this comparison back and forth with David and Goliath. Then David, out of Saul's jealousy, uh, had to flee and live in caves and forests and had to forsake all creaturely comforts. And he spent 14 years dodging spears and arrows like a fugitive and had no place to call home in those 14 years. But when all of that strife had ended and David became the king of Israel, the country fell into the hands of a very good leader and Israel prospered mightily through the leadership of David. And so now David comes to the end of his life. It's kind of the section just before Charlene read. And here it is, the, first, the verse of 2 Samuel 23. These are the last words of David. And now he's reflective of everything that has been happening. And, and you know uh, what feels like is happening here, that he's remembering the tremendous team of people who stood so loyal and so, so greatly around him to bless him and to strengthen him. He wants to talk about 37 warriors who stood shoulder to shoulder with them, and he sees them as a gift of God. And so he's reflecting before he dies. And I look back in my own life, and I, I see that my dad was very reflective. I suppose all of us are eh, when we come to the end of life. And just days before my dad died, he, I, I'm sure he'd been rehearsing this for a long time. He sat us all down. He's on the hospital bed. Grandkids on the, on the hospital bed. He wanted to, had the, all to jump up. And they were just little and he shared the things that he had been rehearsing in his mind. <laughs> and I have never forgotten that day nearly 40 years ago. David is reflecting. And look at verse 8. The historian writes, These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. And you have a long list of names before chapter 23 closes out. 
And we hardly take the time to read these names because they don't mean anything to us, so we just kind of speed read them. But every one of them has a special place in David's heart. Now, we don't have a lot of information on these rough and tumble guys, but there's one, his, there's one warrior that the, uh, that the historian wants to talk about a little bit more. And he got a little more press, and his name was Benaiah. Uh, say it with me. Benaiah. Try it again. Benaiah. <laughs> well, have you ever heard of Benaiah before? Well, maybe you heard the name, but you forgot about it. Here's what we know, verse 20. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from uh, Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which include killing two champions of Moab. So Benaiah was a southerner. He was from deep south Judah. Uh, you all might know that. Born and raised not too far from Beersheba uh, in the desert of Judah. Hey, and you all know there's nothing like being from the south. And Moab and Edom were not too far away from Kabzeel. And Benaiah is known for his decommissioning of a couple of ringleaders of the terrorist organization that was holding, uh, holding up in Moab. They were the Moab champions. And he decommissioned them, not with a drone, but probably hand-to-hand -hand combat. And then another time, it says, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit, and he killed it. Now, we're going to come back to this, because, Benaiah, what are you doing messing with a lion? Do you have nothing else to do but chase a lion down into a pit on a snowy day? Once armed with only a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. I mean, this guy is quick, and he's courageous, and he's up to about any physical challenge. This is the caliber of warrior that was part of the inner 37 of David's little army. And Benaiah was some warrior. It says, deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the 30, although he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. You see, what happened to Benaiah was that he got a huge promotion when David became king. He was right up there with him. Uh, one of the fighting guys from the deep south, Benaiah. Benaiah. And uh, he was there. And who would have ever thought that this southern lad would, would climb to such heights, that he would have a resume that appealed to the king of Israel? I'd say if you give your best today in the small things of life as a child, if you start giving your best, that will take you a long ways. And if when you're a teenager, you're giving it 100% committed to whatever is on your plate, that will build a great resume. You build your resume without even knowing it. Your life is writing a resume day by day. And when you get a little further down the road, somebody says, I sure want to have that man on my team. I sure want to have that woman on my team. They're eagles. They're winners. They're valuable. 
And remember how Paul said that in the later years of his ministry. Tell Luke to come before winter. Bring John Mark along. And then he lists a few people. And he even comes to appreciate how significant John Mark is to him. At one, one time he had kind of written John Mark off and said, oh, don't go with that guy. But then John Mark began to grow in his heart and he began to appreciate who John Mark is. And at the end of his days, he, he recognized, I didn't really know John Mark. But who knew anything about Beniah? Reminds me of the story of a newly elected president in the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, who was standing in the presidential line at his reception. And he had a man on his left who was there because he knew everybody at the reception. And he would whisper to, to Teddy Roosevelt, this is so-and-so coming, this is so-and-so. And then, then Teddy Roosevelt would act like, I know this guy. Well, he looked down a couple of three people and he said, there's a fellow down there, Mr. President, you know him. He made your pants. So as the guy got next to him, the president said, made your pants. So glad you're here today. <laughs> Welcome. Well, made your pants. That must have been Benaiah. He went to work for David as a bodyguard. Who's that guy coming in line, David? Do you know him? And David wouldn't have had to be informed. He knew this man. He'd watched his behavior. And he said, keep this guy close to me. I can count on him. And wherever he went, it was wonderful to have Benaiah as his bodyguard. He became the bodyguard to the king of Israel. Oh, and did you know that after David died, this same man, Benaiah, becomes the in-chief, uh, the, the leader of, of the army under King Solomon, the commander-in-chief. So he was the second most powerful person in the entire kingdom of Israel. Look what a great resume will do. But where did it all start? Well, it started on a snowy day, a day when he chased a lion down into a pit, and he killed it. Now, I don't think any of us would try a stunt like that, but Benaiah did. Well, I, you come to think of it, David kind of did too, didn't he? He realigned the jaws of a lion and a bear. So maybe, that's, maybe that was fun back in those days. But we don't know the story behind this crazy, crazy adventure of chasing a lion down into a pit on a snowy day. Uh, it seems to me that this would be a major problem, maybe the last problem that you will ever encounter is to chase a, a, a lion. But admittedly, if you can come through an experience like that, uh, you will develop a great resume. Well, I don't have to tell you that uh, Benaiah uh, chose not to run away. Uh, but he chose to run to his problem. And it makes me ask, are you going to run away from what you're afraid of? Or are you going to run toward it and conquer it? Are you going to let fear tell you what to do for the rest of your life? Be bossed around by this thing in your gut called trepidation, apprehension, anxiety, fear, or are you going to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to deal with this, and I know my God will deliver me? So after setting sail, and you kind of see the picture here, let's just stop for a few moments, drop anchor, and just think about the implications of what we've heard here. Here's the first reminder. 
It's honorable to pursue a dream. Number one, it's honorable to pursue a dream. You have dreams. I know some people might say, well, I'm not really a dreamer. But I expect you are. <laughs> Maybe if you're a parent, you have one real special dream or two or three or four, and you gave that dream a name when he or she was born. But Benaiah was a dreamer. I don't know how it was that he initially got con connected to David in the first place, but no doubt David represented a cause to which Benaiah really wanted to belong. He might have said, this guy is going where I want to go, and uh, so I'm going to hook my dream to his dream. And you know how often this is that we see our dreams aligning with somebody else who has a similar dream, and we say, we could do this together. We maybe don't want to be the out-front, up-front dreamer, but we really value what somebody else is doing and how they're leading, and, and we say, that's where I'm going to, and I'm going to link my dreams with her or my dreams with him. But I think David's dream, however he communicated it, sparked a lot of dreams for his, for his 400 men who rode posse with him. And so how do you discover the dreams in your hearts? I'm not quite sure what my dreams are, you say. Can I just give you a couple of suggestions, a couple of handles this morning to see where your life is headed, where your dreams are, and what is shaping you and the direction you will take? Number one, look back and not ahead. Look back and not ahead. Well, you say, really? I, I thought maybe we needed to, to look down the road and set some goals. Don't you mean look ahead, not back? You know, you'll have a better idea of the goal to set if you're putting your hiking boots on in your own life and you walk back through the defining moments of your life. Take out a piece of paper sometime and, 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 and ask yourself, what are some of the defining moments of my life when I was a child? What are the key influencing moments of my life when I was a teenager? What about in my 20s or my 30s or up you go from there? What about the key defining moments? And you might come up with 10 life gates. And they're really they're windows to allow you to look into your own life and see what God has been doing through the years. And what you discover from the past is your trajectory for the future. They, they, they feed you. They give you ideas. They support what you are looking forward to doing in the days ahead. So go ahead and give it a try and see what you discover about yourself. Take a walk, walk backward in your life and see all those key moments that have shaped you. Well, it's fun. I took a few moments to try to do that, to review my life. And I could just see, I could see the pivotal moments rise to the top like cream and they were influencing moments and shaping moments in my life that uh, have given me the dreams for the years. Number two, it's inspiring to rub shoulders with a dreamer. Rub shoulders with another dreamer. Dreams are infectious. A dreamer infects other people with his excitement or her excitement and joy. A dreamer is influential and hardly without knowing inspires you to put your hand to the wheel. And that was David over and over again. He was so inspirational. And when you get alongside of dreamers who dream and they make sense, 
I don't know about you, but my heart starts to beat a little faster and the blood starts to flow a little stronger. You'll discover that there are some times in our lives when we're focusing on a dream that God has given to us and it's clear and it's unmistakable. And this is exactly what it should be. And it just feels so right, so energizing, and you can't wait to get at it. There are other times when God wants us to give our attention to somebody else's dream. And we find great joy being part of that dream and making that dream become a reality. And I think that's exactly what Benaiah did. He rubbed shoulders with David. Benaiah had a dream, but he saw that his dream was closely aligned to another leader who was taking the ball down the field. He loved the heart of David, and he dreamed, he loved his dreams, and he helped those dreams become a reality. And Benaiah saw all his dreams come true, and I, ne- I expect that he never, he never thought that God would raise him up to the level of, uh, of leadership that he did. What you have to admire about Benaiah is his courage. I mean, he played on the risky end of life, and We celebrate this man's life, not just because he came out of the pit chasing the lion and he came out alive, and that was incredible, but the amazing part of the story is that he went down into the pit. It's not coming out that's courageous, it's going in. And one of the hardest things to trust God with is the outcome. If we go in, will we come out? And how will we look? We may look foolish if we run towards a lion. We may seem crazy to go down into a lion's pit. But on the other hand, think of Noah. He must have looked very foolish building an ark. And Sarah must have looked a little foolish sewing maternity clothes at age 90. And Peter must have looked foolish getting out of the boat to walk on water. And the wise men looked foolish following a star. And don't you think Jesus looked foolish hanging on a cross? But that's not the end of the story. Because Noah was saved from the flood. And Sarah gave birth to Isaac. And the wise men found the Messiah. And Peter walked on the water. And Jesus was raised from the dead. What's holding you back? I can't quit my job. I might look foolish. Well, if God is giving you the inkling to quit your job and move on to something else, then follow it. But uh, make sure all the, the pivots line up. I can't go get some counseling. I might look weak and foolish. I can't make that decision. I might look foolish. Go ahead and look foolish. There are two different kinds of regrets. One is that we did some things that we regret doing. We should have been more careful. We shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have done that. And the other kind of regret is that we didn't do something that we should have. I was reading a study by Tom Gilovich and Victoria Medvey and came up with these statistics. When they looked at all of the the decisions that people make, in the long term, they said, when we look back over our lives, we tend to regret inactions over actions 84% to 16%. Well, what does that mean? We had dreams we didn't follow. 
We were afraid, we were nervous, we were intimidated, and as a result, we left a whole lot on the table. We refused to, to take action, and we regret it. There are things that are there to have been accomplished, but we let it go. A missionary came home from the field, and it was time to retire. He came home disappointed because in many areas of his ministry, he didn't go for it. And his excuse was prudence. And it ranks as one of his greatest regrets. He was prudent. He didn't want to appear foolish or reckless. So he toned it down, and he looked very status quo. Well, faith is the willingness to look a little foolish at times. Hey, if God's calling you to step out, it takes a lot of courage. There's a difference between recklessness and pure craziness and faith. But if you have a dream, tell somebody you trust. Look for confirmation of new steps in your journey. Trust the wisdom of godly people on your pathway. But when you know this is for you, chase the dream. Go for it. Fight for the dream that's in your heart. Face your fear. Fight for your dreams. Live for the applause of, of the nail-scarred hand. Don't let what is wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Satan did everything he could to divert Jesus from his mission. And Jesus uh, just said to him, Satan, get lost. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you could see the intensity of the fight against Jesus, the plan of God. But Jesus persevered, and he went, and he was not prudent. Aren't you glad that he went down into the snowy pit, so to speak, and faced his enemy? And he overcame. The Lamb has overcome. So if you need any inspiration to follow your dream, look at Jesus. Look how clear he was on his mission and clear on his commitment and obedience to the Father.